All right, welcome to the Motorsports in Focus podcast, episode two. My name is David Santiago, and this is... Joe. Joe what? McKenny. There we go. Okay. <laughs> I was going to see I, if I could get away with it. Yeah, I don't want anybody getting <laughs> confused, which Joe. Yeah, there's so many Joes here, it's 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 very problematic. But. <laughs> All right, so uh, first thing I want to cover today, we're obviously going to talk about, uh, you know, the usual Formula One, IMSA, uh, well, IMSA and the FIA for Super Sebring. And then uh, nothing going on for Indy right now. So that'll be the bulk of the podcast. But at first, I want to talk about the, well, motorsports and focus in general, sort of what it is and where it came from. Listening to the last podcast, I got some feedback that, you know, I should talk about more about what this is, what I'm trying to do, uh, and hopefully what it will grow into. So uh, motorsports and focus is something I started basically because I saw a need for photographers to have an outlet for uh, creative photojournalism, basically, because there's a lot of talented photographers in motorsports, and generally, if you're working for a team or uh, a company, a bit, you know, one of the bigger companies uh, or brands, uh, you're a little bit constrained in terms of what they want, uh, what you're going to shoot that day because of the timetable, uh, when you need to turn around photos for social media and stuff like that. And so, I thought it'd be really cool to sort of pull from eventually from some of these really talented photographers and sort of let them be creative and let them sort of do a photojournalistic type post on a website uh, that just illustrates the, the feel of the event from a perspective that you don't really get to see anymore because everything's driven by social media, just quick content, you know, and it's not so much focused on quality or creativity. And uh, personally... Uh, that was something that I discovered, and so I think there's a need for that, and I'm hoping that other photographers also uh, agree with me. I've talked to a couple of them so far, and uh, I've gotten some positive feedback, so I'm definitely excited for it, but that's the idea of the website, uh, and I'm also going to have some other stuff there. I think uh, Joe had a good idea the other day. I'm going to put straight-up event galleries as well, so the photojournalism stories and then galleries. Uh, I'm also hoping to add a section that sort of has standings in the current championships that we talk about and cover. So that way you sort of have a one-stop shop. You can play the podcast, listen to what's going on, view the standings, look at the pictures from the events, read some stories. Uh, so it's sort of all encompassing in one place. And David, is the podcast embedded on the site? It is. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the place to watch it right now. Obviously, if you follow uh, on social media, you'll know when it's coming out and everything. But... You said watch. Did I? Yeah, just well, want to make sure we're... We're not we're not over promising. <laughs> this is this is at as of now an audio only format for the moment. Yes, yes, okay. yes. yes. I, I don't think it'll ever be video. Uh, I had some people ask about that, and I know because it's a popular thing to do with podcasts, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of work. I guess I, I mean the way I see it is like I don't have any interest in watching people talk to me. Mm-hmm. I have interest in listening to people talk to me. I don't have any interest in watching people talk to me, yeah. especially when they're not talking directly at me. They're talking at a camera. Or to each other. Or to each other. Yeah. There's no direct interaction with me and the hosts, and there's no loss of direct interaction if I'm strictly listening, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. If anything, I feel like I, I digest the material better if I'm strictly listening. Yeah. I tend to agree, although I understand that there's a component where seeing people... And faces in particular, you know, it's it's hard to 
not be engaged to some extent, but you have to be in a scenario where you can actually like watch it. I think it's human nature to want to know who's the face behind the voice. Yeah. Um, I think the other, the other big part of video uh, is YouTube as a format or as a forum rather for um, material, I guess I'm trying to, it's not just an audio format or just a video format it's a it's a way for people you got to think people listen to music on it people watch videos they watch documentaries now there's movies now there's live tv right it's it is as you said for motorsports your site is one-stop shop youtube is a one-stop shop so i do understand why people like to have their podcasts also posted on youtube and if you're going to post it on youtube i might as well watch you guys talk I do understand that sentiment at the very least. Yeah, I guess it's just another form of sort of doing the same thing and in the spirit of like, you know, these days where you have you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff to sort of reach the largest audience that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense. But most likely you won't do that. Um, hopefully. I don't want to Now that it. I took you off a large <laughs> tangent, I just wanted to make sure we were clear by, <laughs> oh yeah, you can watch it on the site. Uh, where? <laughs> yeah, I meant to say listen. So, um, but yeah, so the podcast is going to be just us talking about motorsports, um, like a group of friends would. And uh, eventually, we'll probably have some guests on. Uh, I'm going to see if I can get some of the photographers that I know on because I think it'd be cool to talk about for motorsport photography on the podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Um, and I'm really curious to, to, hear some stories from those other photographers as well to see how much uh, of our experiences correlate. So, Is there going to be a way for fans to, uh, or listeners rather, to send in questions and whatnot for photography? Because there's there's going to be people that are going to be looking on the site and they're going to see a, a photo that you've taken. They're going to go, how how did he do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely want to do that. It'll probably be on Instagram because I really like doing polls on Instagram. Polls and then you can also do like AMAs on there basically uh, or a form of that. And uh, I, I am predicting that uh, the main audience, well, I shouldn't say predicting, but I think the main audience is going to be sort of amateur photographers and in general motorsport photographers that are interested in this because essentially I'm building a website for me like 10 years ago is sort of my goal here. Okay. And uh, I hope that's how it works out because uh, I think that's how you inspire other people to do, you know, motorsports photography or get into photography in general. Right. Uh, so yeah, for sure. We'll talk about, you know, photography in terms of like, um, you know, not like a workshop or something, but just general experiences, uh, not like how to stuff, but just talking about the industry and with other photographers and how they do what they do. Mm -hmm. So I think it should be a lot, it'll be a lot of fun and, um, you know, you might learn something. I think that'd be pretty cool if we could teach people stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, um, that's the gist of the podcast. Uh, uh, you know, it should be pretty fun. Um, hopefully, you know, once we get some guests on and get rolling. So, are you ready to get into the first topic of today? First normal topic. Sure. Formula One. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, obviously, Verstappen won again. Yeah. Or sorry, Spo- no, Checo did. Well, spoiler, spoiler to the spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> We were kept, we were checking to see if you guys were actually listening. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yes, Checo did win. Um, Verstappen came in second, and Alonso in third. Yep. Sort of, and then he wasn't, and then he was. Did you yeah. hear about the drama? Yeah, it was very strange. Okay. Um, 
I uh, I I didn't. I, I guess watched we could save race. that for last. Yeah, I watched the race, but um, not in real time, and uh, it was, or I, I guess I didn't get to see the drama unfold in real time because I was reading about it before I watched the race. But uh, yeah, it was really strange how, I guess it was the, the jack, the rear jack was touching the car. Correct. So, <sighs> but you'd think that th- that lot- type of thing would be really. <clears throat> Uh, clear in the rule book, but apparently it wasn't. It was kind of so, vague. So I didn't read the rule book. I don't know what the rule said. Um, what the, I the, I'll tell you real quick. The okay. rule says that they cannot work on the car. That's how work. it's written. Yes. So I mean, my interpretation, if I was the FIA, then is touching the vehicle is considered working on it. I and, think that's a very distinct black and white line that you can draw. Mm-hmm. In which case, he should have received a penalty. I tend to agree with you. And uh, I was curious to see if we'd come to the same conclusion here, because to me, I've always said whenever we're talking that rules are rules. And if you broke the rule, you got to you got to own up to it. You know, even if it's a stupid rule, if you knew it was a rule beforehand, Mm -hmm. you know, and the organizers aren't just making stuff up, then a rule's a rule and you get a penalty. And I kind of feel like that's the case here. It's like they were touching the car. It sucks. It's kind of a stupid rule. You know, they didn't gain an advantage or anything, yeah, but so a rule's a rule. To, to provide a little bit of background information, the uh, Alonzo had received a five-second penalty for improper grid position, which to me shows just how long it's been since he's been truly involved in being a front-row competitor and just simply did not pay as close of attention as he maybe would have in the prime of his career to where he was located, so he was actually outside the grid box. He was left of his grid grid location yep. to start and received a five-second penalty for it. Fine. So he comes in on his next... Um, and there was no argument, by the way, which was fantastic to hear. I don't know if yeah. you heard the radio transmission. Yeah, he just said, yeah, copy. Yeah, copy. Yep. That's like, how it should okay. be. Yeah, exactly. It's not like, what? I was in the right... No. No, you were in the wrong spot. Wrong. Yeah, just get on with yeah. it. Yeah. So anyway, he comes in. He can. He can... For those that aren't familiar with how Formula One works, he can uh, take the penalty on his next pit stop. He doesn't need to come in immediately. He can take it upon his next pit stop. But as soon as he parks the vehicle, the team is not allowed to work on the vehicle, which my fan assumption, um, and maybe it's from commentators or whatnot, I don't know, was you're not allowed to touch the vehicle for the allotted time, whether it's a 10-second penalty or a 5-second penalty or whatever. You had to sit there, and the vehicle could not be worked on, or my previous understanding touched, uh, for those five seconds. You can clearly see on the replay the rear jack uh, mechanic, pit crew guy, whatever you want to yeah, call him, I guess. Jackman. Yeah, I, I don't know what his title is. I think it is rear jackman. Okay, yeah. so... Uh, God, sounds like an actor, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's Hugh Jackman's brother? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, he... Um, you can you can see that he stuck the jack directly under the car and actually shifted the car slightly, mm-hmm. uh, which to me says that that's a mistake. And I think it like I would love to have heard the the comms if they have comms. I don't know if those guys have headsets or I not. I assume they do. Uh, maybe not every single person, but most but of them. I can totally see the backup Jackman, his brother. Um, Telling him, <laughs> telling him, don't move. Because you could see clearly the car move, and and then after that, he was as still as could be for those five seconds. I think they know they screwed up, 
and were able to cover it up well enough to get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Which is maybe not the most morally acceptable thing, but it is sport. I think it's what anyone would do in the moment. If 100%. They, if they sort of, by instinctually, you know, that all, that guy's job is to shove that jack under the car and lift it up as fast as possible. Yes. So that car came in, and I'm sure instinctually he was like, all right, get the jack. Oh, wait. Yes. This is a penalty. And yep. he probably froze right there. I'm just like, I'm just not going to move. Yep. And because, um, you know, you already touched the car. You may as well just well, it, And it does make me, again, I want to hear the comms because is the um, team principal on the radio saying, five-second penalty, guys, five-second penalty, do not touch the vehicle. Five-second penalty, five-second penalty. You just keep repeating it. Make sure we do not touch the vehicle. Don't work on the vehicle. If their understanding and the team principal's understanding, the team's understanding was that don't work on the vehicle meant you can touch it, you just can't physically remove things or do like you can't do things that would behoove you going forward. So you can't jack it up in the air. You can touch it, but you can't jack it up in the air. Then I could see where there would be some miscommunication. But if it's on the team principal, he's aware of the rule. He's aware of, all right, you cannot physically touch the vehicle at all. And he's not on the radio just constantly reiterating five second penalty as he's driving down. I would not stop saying it down the pit road or yeah. down the pit lane. And I think the rule probably needs to be more specific and, like, literally say that yes. you cannot touch the car instead of just no work being done. I think that's the best, most black and white way to do it. Because that's the problem. Is yeah, because otherwise it's all interpretation. 100%. And interpretation is beneficial in some rules, but more often than not, black and white is beneficial. Yeah. Cause and especially when been, administering a penalty. Yeah, and this should have been a really simple thing, too. It should, you know, you shouldn't have to deliberate about what happened yeah and but that's really interesting because the penalty came way later than it should have too also 100 percent correct because yeah. this was early on in the race and then it wasn't till literally after the finish well i guess they were sort of talking about it near the end of the race but then after the finish is when they decided it's like hey five second penalty we're taking you he already sprayed the champagne got the trophy and then, then it was like oh just kidding you got fourth yeah <laughs> but then they gave it back to him yeah which i think is almost worse because now they've gone back on themselves and set a precedent. I guess more than anything, I, I mean, it's it's worse on the FIA. It's it's worse on the governing body to say, look, you're wrong. No, wait, you're right. Yeah. That's a bad look. As far as the driver's concerned, I don't think Alonzo's disappointed in the fact that he got third. No. Had I, it I, taken away and then received third again. Yeah. I, I think it's rightfully his position, but it is... Uh, it's just kind of silly the way it unfolded. What was also particularly interesting was the commentators, maybe they were uh, mistaken in what the penalty should have been, but they were comparing it to last week where Ocon got penalized from what I remember was a five-second penalty for improper... Well, he had the same thing. It was a grid position issue. Yeah. And then when he came in, he uh, was speeding down the pit lane. Yes. And then I think he also got serving a penalty incorrectly. Right. So... I was under the impression that he received a five-second penalty for for serving the penalty incorrectly. I believe so. Uh, I was told by a friend that also watched the race that it was a 10-second penalty, but I thought that was the accumulation of the five-second for speeding and the five-second. I could be wrong. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. My point is, if Alonzo received a five-second penalty for speeding, or rather for serving a penalty incorrectly, he finished 5.1 seconds ahead of Russell anyway. So what does it matter? So if they gave him a 10-second penalty, 
And I know that the FIA has the liberty to choose what penalty they give a driver. Mm-hmm. So did they just randomly decide he got 10 seconds and they were like, maybe that's too harsh. Let's give him five seconds or maybe that's too harsh. Let's pull it away. Like it just the whole situation makes the FIA look like they have no idea what they're doing. And I, I, there's an echo in this room because we've said this for many years. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the FAA is just one of those organizations that it's so big and they're so involved with everything in terms of, you know, They've got Formula One. They've got the World Endurance Championship. They've got Rally. They've mm-hmm. got all this stuff, you know, and they're trying to manage all this stuff. It's just bureaucratic, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not just like this couple what? of guys looking at it and being like, ah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, they're like, well, technically, Article 3, Section 5 states this. But if we cross-reference that with Section B, Article 7, it actually should be, you know, that, that's so, what's going on. So so not to go off on a on a large tangent here and and really pull in another sport but how the hell can golf figure this out there's a rule book by the usga for every tournament or the rna for every tournament across the world Mm -hmm. every tour follows it it's well known right some people may say oh well golf is slower you know it's it doesn't happen right away since when has any ruling in the history of the fia ever happened instantly yeah. It does. It's not like it's. It's not like they stop the race penalty. It's you know. It's not. It's not hockey. They're not all of a sudden going. Hey, stop the play. There's a penalty here, right? So they have time to deliberate. They have time to figure out what's going on, and they still screw it up. I think it's because like, they're constantly changing and, it. And then, if anything, golf, you have to get that ruling before you can hit your next shot. I mean, there is there's another rule that you can you can play on on under the assumption that that this is the the rule you interpreted and then this is the rule the USGA interpreted but but for the tour events that's not a thing they've got a rules official with everybody so what I, i'm sorry what how the hell like we know the the the, the rule of golf book is massive mm-hmm. or the rule the interpretations the the actual rules of golf is this very small book but the interpretations of the rules is a damn dictionary it's insane we don't hear crazy things in golf saying Look, the USGA screwed this one up. No. So why the heck can the FIA not figure this out? Like, what? Is, what is going on with them, man? I like, mean, they have a history also of inconsistent rulings. That's my point. I mean, you can look back to you know the whole championship drama between Hamilton and Verstappen. Um, yeah. With the safety car. You know, that's a good example. Mm-hmm. And then also with track limits. I think they're still trying to figure track. They still out. have not ever. It should figured be out. really simple. Black and white, <laughs> as black and white as. Are you be. off yeah. the track or you're not off the track? Yeah. I think so many drivers abuse that rule that they they weren't willing to actually put the hammer down and you penalize how, them, so they just let it go. Do you know how easy it is to enforce that rule? Yeah, you're just off the track or you're not off the track. Even even more so than that, it's even easier than this. You just simply make it robotic. You, you have the track limits. They're GPS located. Mm-hmm. You put a GPS in the car or something that is more accurate than GPS, right? You, you yep, pick yep, it, right? Yep. You can localize it very easily. Don't tell me Formula One doesn't have enough money to do this. And as soon as that car exceeds that limit, first warning. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, why the heck do they need three warnings? I, I don't and know. And then they get a penalty on the fourth. Like, yeah. dude, you've how many times do you need to exceed the track limit before we go, no. No, you should be penalized. We don't know how much you're going to be penalized for, but you should be penalized. <laughs> like it's just a mess. It's a mess. Yeah. Not to I, rip on the FIA and completely go off. 
no, but off it, tangent, but I, I think it's a good analogy at the yeah, very least. It's an example where something should be really cut and dry, and somehow they struggle to enforce it or even just write the regulation because it changed this year again. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember them talking about it in one of the free practices. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, track limits are different now where they, it's this. And it's just like, come on. They change every year. I mean, they really do. Or it feels yeah. like it, at least. Like, I'd, I stopped trying to focus on... I've, I've been watching Formula One every year for the last, what, decade and a half. Yeah. And I still don't follow the rules because they change so damn often. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. I don't have the time invested in my life. I got enough other garbage <laughs> to pay attention to than to figure out what the rules are for the, it should be, like you said, very cut and dry. You should be able to watch any racing event and go, that guy exceeded the trip. Apparently he didn't get penalized. And what were we just saying last week about how nice it was when there was the battle between Hamilton and Alonzo, that there was no drama. We didn't have to sit back and look at a, a ruling or anything like that. It took one race. <laughs> the FIA's back. Yeah. It took one ra- they went guys, we did not have enough drama. Yeah, I I don't know. It it's silly, but luckily in the end, uh Alonzo retained the third place. He did. Uh for, for now. Yeah. For now. Yes. You'll change your mind again. <laughs> like we rewrote the rule, we're going to retroactively apply it to this situation. Let watch, this be a precedent, everyone. Watch we'll that, change our mind three times, and that'll be the final ruling. On watch the that third end up time. giving him that ruling that they retroactively changed, and he gets he ends up with five world championships all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really funny. Um, but uh, for stopping in second, and he does maintain the championship lead. Yes, because he got the fastest lap. Yep, I have point. Yes. And uh, Checo winning the race, and I can't help but think uh, a lot of that had to do with Verstappen starting so far back because of the gearbox replacement mm-hmm. and the penalty that came with that. Yeah. So, um, what are your thoughts on the circuit? So I actually like it. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it. It's not. It's not a race that excites me. Um, but I like it the same way I like Canada. If that makes sense. Uh, it's it's not oh, this is incredible. I think most races are going to be pretty bad on it. But there's enough zones that you can pass. And there's enough zones where you can kind of make a move and and battle. It was wider than I thought it was initially. You know, watching it, it looks it looks a lot like Melbourne. It reminds me a lot of Melbourne. Yeah, for me, it reminds me of Singapore. Okay. I, I feel like Singapore is more 90 degrees, more... Yeah, but in terms of like the width and everything, yeah, um, I think Melbourne's a little bit more narrow. Although I love the Melbourne track, I hate Melbourne. Really? Yeah, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I <laughs> I asked because uh, when I first saw this track, I was like, "What in the world is this?" Yeah, it's very strange. It's incredibly fast. It is, which is really cool because yeah. you can really see the arrow working and yeah. how fast these cars are, mm-hmm. which I like. But the blind corners are sketchy. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, if you look at the aerial, this is just something I noticed. If you look at the aerial views, where are the fans? Are there any? I didn't think about that, but yeah, I mean, now I think that I saw you, two grandstands. Now that you bring it up, I don't even really think about. I, I can't think of where they were outside of the main straight. Yeah, I didn't even see any photographers have, out I'd there. I'd have to go back and rewatch it because I don't ever pay attention to where the fans are, with the exception of somewhere like. You know, when they go to the Netherlands or something and, and there's just orange everywhere. Yeah. You know, you, you get, then the fans are very obvious. Yeah. I, I was looking at it because I'm like looking at it on the top down. I'm like, man, this would suck to like take photos at. 
because every single wall looks exactly the yeah. same as the other wall. Like, it all how, looks the same. How do you feel, real quick tangent, how do you feel about the, like, three straight corners of n- just nothing but Pirelli advertisement or nothing That's but Rolex advertisement? Like, not, it's not like, okay, there's Pirelli, like, it doesn't look like That's the boards. literally in, just that. Yeah, it doesn't look like the boards in hockey, right? No. Where you got just advertisement all over the place, right? It's just bright yellow. Yeah. Like, you could just call that the yellow corner, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like on the on the computer, if you were to, like, you you know, you can, like, copy paste the sentence yes and then you copy both those sentences and then you you know eventually get like 10 sentences and you copy paste it and then you just copy paste that and you just end up with this huge thing that just says the same thing that's what they did for those signs yeah pretty much yeah it looks awful i i think at least i mean for photos you can kind of get consistent colors which is nice it also looks uniform which is sort of nice that's the problem though is like okay the colors are you know easy to work with but no matter where you go on that track, like watching it on TV, if you just see a shot, you're like, I have no idea what to turn. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Did you know that they put the turn over the logo, the F1 logo, what turn six or turn three or whatever? What do you mean? Like the little logo, the little um, the little F1. Yeah, yeah. It's, it usually says the turn right next to it. I figured that out last year or two. Really? Years ago. Yeah, it blew my mind. <laughs> I don't know if they're doing it again this year, but yeah, they did it. They did really? at least last year, and I was like, what? How long has that been there? <laughs> <laughs> that is blowing my mind. Yeah. I almost don't believe you. I feel like you're messing with me. I'm no. going to have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a normal thing. At, the, at least it was last year. I don't know if it still is this year. But um, no, I mean, like as far as the race is concerned, I thought it was a pretty good race. Uh, I talked to you when you got in, actually, uh, we prior to recording. The move that Kevin Magnuson made at the end of the race on Yuki Sonoda was just ridiculous for yeah, a for, point. For the last point. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely incredible incredible move and then uh, my my biggest takeaway and maybe it's just because i spend too much time disliking him but how useless is hamilton in a car that does not cater to him like not not only is he i i I don't want to spend a long long time on ragging on him but it's like george russell is making the most out of a car that's probably not great right like it, it looks like a middle high middle of the pack car right where Red Bull has been at their worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, for, and like Ferrari, where and they were. Lewis Hamilton just looks bad. I mean, he does, he's not making moves that are smart. It's like, it looks like he's spent the last eight years of his career just banking on the car always being there. And he's completely forgotten how to go pass and make moves. Because you know he's a better driver than this. It's just, where is it? Well, that's the, the interesting thing to me, because I just got done saying, I think, in the last podcast, that he's at least always outperformed his teammates pretty consistently. But uh, this week he really didn't, and uh, no. it was kind of surprising. But not just didn't, didn't in any way. Yeah. I mean, like, he just got dominated by George Russell. And granted, it's a new track as of, what, like two years ago or something like that. So George Russell's theoretically got the same amount of experience on it. But also, I I just, we saw it a little bit last year, too. There there was just times where if the car wasn't there, Lewis wasn't there. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it has to play some role you know when you come from just dominating with a certain car and you're just used to that that it's a huge adjustment to have to you know really fight in the midfield basically mm-hmm. um so it doesn't surprise it's me too said. much mm-hmm. yeah i think we've seen it with all the top drivers they get in a car and i'm sure part of it is just like if you don't think you're gonna win the championship and that's like all you care about it's got to be hard to be like i really gotta oh, grind for this hun- seventh place hundred percent hundred percent especially when you are a seven-time world champion yeah but it, it does at least slide the thought into your head of how 
how many world championships does X driver that is above average win in that Mercedes? Just the same way of how many world championships does X driver that's above average win in Seb's Red Bulls? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was you know, say. it's like it, it. You can go on and on and on and on, but there are there are drivers we've seen that bounce around from team to team to team to team to team that are still very good drivers that are way outperforming their car. We just spoke about Fernando Alonso. We said last week we think he's the best driver on the grid, and I think we've said that before about Verstappen, Lando. I, I would uh, say Vers- I was going to bring up Verstappen because his first couple of years in that Red Bull were not, that was not a good Red Bull. No. It was okay. It worked. It's still Red Bull. I mean, it's not Williams or at least where Williams is now, obviously traditionally yeah. Williams has been yeah. very good, but you know, it's not down in that kind of middling or lower pack. Right. So for him to drove to drive the way he drove, it's a pretty, pretty good Testament to what kind of driver he is. And I just, I, man, I don't feel like I've seen that out of Lewis at all. It's, it's yeah. concerning in some way. I mean, it's like, he's not my favorite driver, don't get me wrong. But I also, I like greatness. Yeah, exactly. And you want to see him fighting other world champions. Yes. Yes. I would I would much rather see him doing what Fernando Alonso has been doing for the last nine years or whatever it has been. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it is surprising to see that. But, yeah, I think overall it was, it was an okay race. It wasn't an amazing race. I would agree. But it was okay. Um... Anything else to add on that race? Not on Formula One, no. I, n- nothing that nothing that jumps out to me. Yeah. What do we have next? Do you know what the next race is? I don't actually. Okay. I haven't looked it up. Um, I I miss when Melbourne was the first race though. It's odd. It's it's very odd having Bahrain be the the first race of the season. Yeah, because that traditionally used used to be near the end. So. Yeah, yeah. It was always uh, the end of the race, which which made sense. Like. Like climate, globally, climate, climately, climate. <laughs> no, you know what I'm trying to say. But Geographically, you mean? Geographically. Oh, uh, next race is uh, Miami. Oh. No, no, wait. I'm sorry. I'm looking on the third race on this calendar. Next race is Melbourne. Okay. Oh, okay, gotcha. March 31st through April 2nd, and then we have Azerbaijan and then Miami. Man, the calendar's really changed since we first started watching. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. And then italy and then monaco and then spain and then canada you start to get into the like oh wait i know those races (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right so uh we'll move on now we'll talk about uh super sebring which was the wec thousand miles of sebring and the imsa 12 hours of sebring that's what they're calling this weekend super sebring yep okay and uh they've been doing it three years now i guess and uh, it is interesting though because the 12 hour is traditionally held on saturday and it's weird because it makes the FIA race on Friday, so it's not like stealing the headliner Sunday mm-hmm. um, position. And uh, I feel like it doesn't really get much attention because it's on Friday, and also it's like sort of in the shadow of the 12-hour. And I don't know, it's just kind of an interesting dynamic. But let's talk about the FIA race first and get that out of the way, and then we'll talk about the 12-hour, which I think there's more to talk about anyway. I agree. Can I touch on what you just said really quickly? Yeah. So as a as a just a generic racing fan, like I'm I'm a bigger than average racing fan, but I'm not the the dude that's tuning into like my primary sport isn't racing. Mm-hmm. So it's probably my second or third sport, but I'm not the diehard go nuts racing guy, right? Yeah. I, enough so that I'll watch twelve out of the twelve hours of Sebring. I could not have cared less about this thousand mile. And I think a part of that is that it was on Friday. Yeah. The other part of it is 
it has no historical significance whatsoever, and I'm going to watch the race tomorrow anyway. Yeah, I I agree, and I think, I think most people feel I, that way, but uh, when you told me that, I was a little bit surprised, and I was like kind of curious exactly why, because especially the past two years when we've had the FIA race, it was basically Toyota racing themselves, and the field was pretty pretty light. And that was different this year, how? Not to not to jump ahead to what we're talking about. But <laughs> yeah, well, sorry. this year at least we've got Ferrari entering the fold. We've got yes. the LMDH cars. I agree with all that. <clears throat> so I, I, my quick solution, the thing that I kind of thought of uh, that I think would really behoove both the FIA and IMSA is to not do it on the same weekend. Yeah. Go ahead and have your 12-hour now, right? What's the last race of the WEC calendar in November? I, I believe it's Bahrain, but when, I don't know. Do you know when, when approximately? No. So my my I, mean, thought, I think it's November. My thought is, why can't you host the thousand miles of Sebring as your last race? Like what? There's there clearly is no significance to the last race for the FIA WEC Championship. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Because, it's all about Le Mans. <laughs> right. Exactly. So why not go ahead if you're going to try and go to this iconic track, or not try? If you're going to go to this iconic track. And you're going to host a big race, and you're going to try and theoretically compete with the 12-hour a little bit? Maybe it's just your excuse to, to go there? Why can you not host it in November or December? The weather's fantastic this time of year, or that time of year in, in Sebring. It's very rarely in—it's like it's pretty much the same as it is now. Yeah. I so, mean, probably a little bit cooler. Sometimes it's cooler, sometimes it's hotter. Yeah. But— for the most part, you're you're not going to have a high in the in like 95 or anything. It's not going to be anything crazy like if you were to try to host a race in in the middle of June or July. So why wouldn't you separate these two? Because then all of a sudden I'm like, well, wait a minute, we haven't had a good race in December in a long time. Yeah, I'll watch, I'll watch Sebring for a thousand miles in December. Yeah, I don't it's, know. It, it's or, almost like you're or at least separate them by a week. Like maybe have. The FIA race the that, first weekend and then Sebring the second weekend? That would help, but I'd still not be very interested. Mm. But why? I might be more interested. What would draw you in? I don't know. I, 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 because if I what, was on like a let panel. Let me put it this way. What draws me in? Sebring's a great track, so yeah. don't don't take what I'm about to say as taking away from Sebring. But truly what draws me into Sebring is the history, the history of the race, the, the historical significance of doing 12 hours of Sebring, that it's been one of the biggest races, if not the biggest race, in the United States for eons and eons in endurance racing. Yeah, like Le Mans. Like, even though it wasn't great the past couple of years, exactly. it's still Le Mans. Exactly. I know? will tune into Le Mans every year, regardless of who is in and who's out and what manufacturer is involved and what manufacturer isn't involved. I will always tune into Le Mans. Just the same way I'll always tune into the 12 Hours of Sebring. I don't... I Let me put it this way. I guess this is the easiest way for me to phrase it. I don't watch the... Or I, I didn't have interest in the 1,000 Miles of Sebring. For the same reason, I don't have very much interest in F2. That's fair. It's great racing. Yeah. Now, granted, F2 cars don't compare to F1 cars, while the WEC cars do pretty much compare to the IMSA cars. They're, they're just not, simply not Formula 1 cars, though, is what you're saying. It's, like, it's not the it's, main meat It's and not potatoes. the series that I'm watching. Yeah, it's not. It's If if the FIA had taken the claim of the 12 hours and IMSA had the 1,000 the miles, I would watch the FIA. I have no brand allegiance to whatever company overarching company is is running it 
I want the 12 hour. Yeah. That's what's most important to me and not the, not the, th- like, I, I guess there, there is a sense of bitterness too. Like you just kind of want the, the WEC to shove it up their tuchus and join the, and join IMSA and do these damn races together. Yeah. And have the cars race together. Yeah, like like what, in one race. what are we doing here? Kind of, yeah. kind of thing. But also I get that IMSA isn't doing that for Le Mans either. Like I get the battle behind it, but as a fan, I'm sitting back going, what are we doing here, guys? Like ser- yeah. seriously, what the hell are we doing here? I would, th- I think it'd be more interesting if we did Sebring and Daytona because they're such iconic endurance races, more similar to how we do uh, Le Mans. So like Le Mans, teams will get invited. So like the Cadillacs got invited to come race at Le Mans from IMSA. Okay. Um, or there, there's like positions they or uh, allocations they can hand out to race at Le Mans. And I think if we did something like that for Sebring and Daytona, it's like, hey, we can't take everybody, but we're going to take a couple of the prototype teams, a couple of the LMP2 teams, and a couple of the GT team GT teams. I think that would make sense because then at least, and then it, you know, have it count for the championship for right. the WEC. I agree completely. Yeah. But that's my, that's kind of my problem with it is that it, it just seems, it seems like second place no matter what. I guess is kind of the the most basic, not well thought out description as to how I feel. Yeah, and, and and not to dwell on it too long, but I think it's an interesting point you brought up because I've always felt I like I haven't watched traditionally the WC races other than Le Mans, and I think the reason for that is like you said they're not the traditional races that I know. Like for me, if I was to, think I will of, watch Spa, but that's about it. But like, they don't. But that race still isn't what it should be, you know. Uh, for me, when I think of FIA racing, I think of like the glory days with 917s and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, when they were running the thousand kilometers of Spa, mm-hmm. they were running the thousand kilometers of Nurburgring. Well, I was just about to say, yeah, like even the Nurburgring 24 hour is. It's its own thing. It's yeah. not even associated with this stuff. It's like right. their own series. And the same thing with the 24 hours of Spa. That is not an FIA, or I don't know if it's governed by the FIA or they use the rules or something, but it's not a WEC race. Right. Um,. Which, to me, it's like, okay, you want to go to these places, you know, at least, like, have the thousand kilometers of spot. Make it traditional, you know. Um, and I, I still kind of think it should be the thousand kilometers of Sebring, not the thousand kilometers. 100%. If it's a European series. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it last week. Yeah, it's... I just... But, it, you know, it's just us complaining. It's not like... It, it is, and it's, it doesn't necessarily take away from the event, but if if the event does for whatever reason not succeed over the years and they decide to kill it this is why i mean this is like this is gonna be the type of thing is that you didn't draw in like i said i'm not a diehard racing fan i am a much bigger than average racing fan if i'm not tuning into it you're you are missing some audience like you you should be pulling me in yeah and it's a shame too because i was gonna say earlier if i was on the board or on some panel for the fia they were like, how do we get people interested? I'd be like, let's get big names in the prototype class, right? Because that's working in IMSA right now Check. for GTP, and they've done that. Yeah. And so it's like, wow. It's like if, if that doesn't draw you in, then like that's their main card that they can play. Yeah. You know, so it's really interesting. To- but but and, and, I, and I do think a bigger part of it than, than what we're making out of it is that it was on Friday. Like I, I am not going to if, – if the event – you said separate them a week apart. I would rather them move the 12-hour to Sunday 
and move the the thousand mile to Saturday, or the other way around. I don't really, I don't think there's any significance to Sunday being the big. Like personally, I I don't fine for like golf, right? Like that's your final round, or it's NFL Sunday. You know, it's the bigger sport than college football. Fine, right? Like I get that, but as far as racing is concerned, yeah, you got F one on Sunday. You got you typically have IndyCar on Sunday, but. I don't think you're diminishing this. Like, if Lamar's typically held on a Saturday and then they want to do another 24-hour race on Sunday, the logistics don't yeah, necessarily work, Monday. but you understand yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. So if that's what they want to do and they're like, well, this race is going to take away from Lamar. No, it's not. No, it's not. Like, the, the, well, thousand, the thousand miles, like, the only thing that might happen for the thousand miles of Sebring is people are going to sit back and go, Oh, so the, okay. This isn't the twelve hour, but this is interesting. It's at least like they might tune well, in on Sunday. I'll tell you, I think the same thing would happen. But I also believe it would take away, and I think that the Europeans should play second fiddle if they do come here. And they should. I agree with you I'm there. A, I'm a traditionalist where I think Sebring should always be on Saturday. I'm okay with that. I'm, but, I'm a, I agree with you in being a traditionalist. I'm yeah, good. and I think even if you moved it to Sunday, though, you'd watch the twelve hour, and then you'd be like, I just watched the twelve hour. Why would I watch this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of how I feel. I just, yeah. like, I just watched this, you yeah. know? Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's a big part. Of, that's why I said you've got to move them almost six months apart. Yeah. I think that's really the key is, like, if you give us another race, you, uh, granted, you cannot. I, those of you that don't live in Florida, I'm telling you right now, you cannot do a 12-hour race at Sebring in August. No. Good luck. It'd Sorry. It's not happening. It's You want to see you you want to see drivers break down? They're yeah. gonna blow gaskets, man! Yeah. Like, <laughs> like holy goodness! Forget about the cars, yeah. So that's not gonna work. But you know, you you tuck it sometime when it cools down a little bit, November, December, something like that. And we're getting into the you know highs of eighty four or eighty six or something like that. Then yeah, you can survive that. You can you can run the cars that you can have a race in that. Yeah, I think that's an interesting idea. But let's talk about the race. Yes, let's let's. So I was there. I didn't really get a good look at the race. You and you're referring to the thousand mile. Yes. Okay. So I watched the recap. I did not watch the yes. race. I also I watched the recap to sort of piece the puzzle together. Um, and uh, first of all, I thought it was really cool that uh, Ferrari got pole position over the Toyotas because the Toyotas were dominating in practice and everything. Um, so that was cool to see. Yeah. It's also awesome to see Ferrari back in prototypes. Yes. And I have to say, in person, the car is just. Oh really? Beautiful. So on TV, granted, it looks weird. I may, on pictures, on t- I, I may be biased, but on TV, outside of the Peugeot, which is just striking, as I'll get out. <laughs> yeah, it's the, just so French. The the Porsche is the best looking prototype. I don't know if it was the same in person, but on TV, the, it's just clean. Everything looks proportional. It looks right. It looks accurate. You're, it, like go for it. It definitely feels like the su- successor to the nine six two, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It sort of has that same sort of blunt front end. Yeah, yeah, it it's does. It's just simple. It's not super flashy or anything. No, it's it's very German. Yeah. It's incredibly German. The the Ferrari has some fantastic lines in person. Okay. It just has something. I can't just... It just looks cool. The diffuser, it's got that little, like... When it's attached? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's got this little line... Uh, I don't, I don't the, bra- know. the brake light is nutty on that thing, like yeah. straight horizontal line. Clean it confused me back. though because yeah. it's just like the Porsches. And at night, I couldn't tell them apart. I was oh, like, okay. "Oh, I'm taking a picture of a no, that's a Ferrari." <laughs> 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 but 
But um, but yeah, so they got the pole position and then immediately blundered their lead with a weird strategy call going into the pits. And um, that was that, I guess. They didn't really come back from that. Pujo did make it into the pits in the formation lap. <laughs> they did. Yeah. And that was kind of heartbreaking to see because they worked a lot on reliability <laughs> up until that didn't race. Show. Yeah. Uh, and then immediately had a problem. Isn't it amazing how that can happen? Like, they'll go through all this practice. They'll do all the test sessions. And then literally the first lap of the race it's like hey guys we've got a problem i think i think what you got like not that, to, that's endurance racing though. yeah 100 percent. and i think not to summarize the race too quickly um but the what what i noticed at least in the recap and then some of the articles that i read on it, it what it what it looked like to me the, the the diagnosis that i got for the whole thing was the teams that have been there and doing this know what they're doing succeeded yeah the teams that were new did not Ferrari being a little bit of the exception by getting a podium. They seemingly built a fast car. Yeah. But you said it from watching just live. I saw it in every video I ever watched. That Ferrari was loose, man. Like, that thing was all over the place. It was very loose. It looked like, I said to you before we started recording, it looked like Ferrari doesn't have the driver lineup that the other guys do. But also, that car was was fast, but... Like, <laughs> hold on. Yeah, no, I, I immediately commented in the first practice session that I saw those cars in. I was uh, down on the outside of, uh, I hate how they do the turns where some of the kinks are turns, but you got turn one, the kink, and then the left-hand turn, mm-hmm. which I guess would technically be turn three, but I'm not sure if they count that kink as a turn. Um, I was there, and seeing the Ferraris go through there the first couple times, they were literally, like, sliding I don't, through there twitching like really quick twitches too not just like a oh he slid through there it was like a whoa we almost lost that that looks they, sketchy well they eventually did and you saw it pretty regularly over on like 14 and 15 yeah like and there's a really weird one in the s's where the ferrari went off and they, yeah the replay even the commentators like I, I don't know what happened there yeah. that was weird yeah like he lost the back end but then couldn't gather it up right right yeah and it's it's, it's just if they get that thing figured out It'll be fast. They're gone, man. Yeah. Like, they've got... You can hand them the world championship. <laughs> assuming reliability's there, which is well, not not a Ferrari slash Italian thing. Yeah. And but. they get the strategy right. <laughs> Do they have Bonotto leading the team? I don't know, man. I don't know why, because everybody was really excited to see Ferrari leading. And then, like, immediately, they're just like, and the Ferraris are coming to the pits. Okay. All right, both the Ferraris. Yeah, both of the them. Pits. Yeah, they sent them both yeah. at the same time, yeah. coughing up the lead. Yeah, yeah, track and position. It was just like, okay, that's a that's an interesting move. Yes, <laughs> and you know, one hand you're like, okay, well maybe it's this long game that they're playing, but it never really panned out. And I have to say that the Toyotas, uh, I, I've been going to Sebring now for a worryingly long time. When I do the math in my head, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember back when it was ALMS and the Audis were running. Yeah. And the Toyotas and the way they controlled this race reminded me of the Audis. I was going to say the exact same. You literally stole the <laughs> stole it straight from me. Stole I mean, the it's a, Yeah, exactly. No, 100%. They controlled every aspect of it. They looked like they knew what they were doing. They had no question marks whatsoever. It was just as simple as can be. And the way they were running, yeah, the way they were running like one, two with just this really steady gap between the cars and they just, and the biggest thing I noticed in person is those Toyotas never made a mistake. 
when I was looking, uh, you know, the exit of the S's where everybody dips a tire off mm-hmm. into the dirt. Mm-hmm. They never did that. They never even went. They never pushed it on that curb. They they also have not. You know, it's not something to take away from. It's a testament to them. The best driver lineup mm-hmm. by a lot. Like that. That is a and they've stuck ridiculously with good yeah. driver lineup. They've stuck. I mean, with you're talking about Sebastian Bourdais, Brandon Hartley. Kobayashi, I mean, you are loaded yeah. with good drivers. Yeah. Like, really good drivers. Well, experience, too. Yes, exactly. Um, yes. In endurance racing. Not experience in racing. Experience in endurance racing, which is a very, very different thing. Because I love every commentator. Their favorite thing on the planet is, this guy's a six-time IndyCar champion. It's like, he, so he drove for two hours every like every weekend. Yeah, yeah he was great. Like, <laughs> when was the last time he was driving for like two hour stints every four hours yeah it's managing the tires managing the fuels managing your own fatigue yeah you don't need to be the fastest guy here you need to manage the car i'm sorry what like you know it's a very different animal endurance racing is nothing like any other racing yeah i i think it's the great equalizer because you can be as fast as you want but it doesn't matter over 24 hour period correct but at least anecdotally in person i never saw the toyotas make an error that was like a unforced error and I never saw them drop a tire in the dirt. Mm-hmm. If they did hit the curb, it was like just a little kiss. They were they weren't like curb hopping like crazy. And I thought it was really interesting. And they just ran this really consistent, and they just seemed solid. You know, it like I said, it reminded me of Audi and the way Audi would just they were they didn't have a lot of flair. You know, the driving mm-hmm. wasn't off the wall. They just did the job. They stayed consistent mm-hmm. where they needed to be, and that was that. No, totally agree. And I think. I think Toyota will be the new Audi for a while now after seeing that. Because I don't well, see them I mean, going away. They've so invested so much I know in endurance racing. A hundred percent. And I know we just talked about like, oh, well, you know, what, what can the WEC do to try and pull in viewers for the thousand miles of Sebring? Certainly not having the top two drivers on the, or the top two teams, the, the top two positions being the same team finishing by two laps ahead of everybody else yeah and then that third driver finishing another two laps ahead of everybody else so you're four laps ahead of the rest of the field that would be a good start for making the race entertaining like what yeah <laughs> like, and it, know, and it's it's a testament to their dominance don't get me wrong but it's also like it's a great way to get viewers to not tune in like yeah jesus christ he's well, got i think four laps on these guys like, yeah a big part of that though is the reliability of those cars 100 percent Hundred percent. They, they, they. It's just that that Audi analogy. Even you could. It's just everything that they did had a purpose. It was done the right way. The decisions that were made were the correct decisions to be made. Nobody made a, any misstep. There was no like drama. There's just no garbage. Yeah, but also the unreliability of the other cars. Hundred percent. Yeah. You know, that's, the Peugeots had problems. The Ferraris. Did they? Yeah, I mean immediately. I'm screwing with you. Yes, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I was like, no. I'm pretty sure. No, they, yeah, the Pujos had nothing but issues. I mean, yeah. they they were just not on. I mean, they almost looked worse than the Glickenhaus. I that's pretty hard to do. <laughs> they, that, that thing was all over the place. It did. So what was the other one? Vanderhall or something like that. That, that car also looked really skittish over the bumps. Yes, it it didn't look happy. Yeah. They, they, if Ferrari can figure out what's going on with just the car being unsettled if they can sort that out they're by far the fastest team if they can't sort it out and i'm toyota i'm still sitting back going man porsche and cadillac look good yeah like, good good they, I, they had some reliability issues yeah but they look good i bet like you said that it 
boils down to some of the experience that the teams have because the IMSA teams have been racing at Sebring for a while. They yes. probably show up and they go, all right, guys, let's run last year's setup and then tweak it from there. Yeah. I'm sure these WEC teams, especially, um, you know, the Peugeots, uh, show up and they're just like, well, uh, let's figure this out. I mean, it's, yeah, it's been, what, 20 years since they've been in endurance racing? Uh, I don't, well, see, now I'm 2006? Having, yeah, now. 2005? I'm, I mean, you're you're getting closer to 20 years. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they had the, that one diesel. But yeah, I guess it was a quite a well, while Well, yeah, but that wasn't a, remember, that wasn't a Peugeot diesel, really. That was just another Audi at the time, because Audi was also running the diesels. It was just an Audi, it was a Peugeot facelifted Audi. I don't remember. I'd have to look that up. I remember that was definitely sort of the case for that Bentley. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. We'll have to, but I thought we'll the Pe- I thought that. the Peugeot was also a a, a copy. I, I like remember hearing copy. something like yeah. that. But um, but I'm thinking back to like the giant wing. Like yeah, big, you're thinking. Big wing. I forget what it's called, but I know yeah. it's the white one. Is it 908? No, 908's Porsche. That sounds. Was it the 908? It might have been a Peugeot 908. Now we got to look it up. <clears throat> All right, I'll look it up. You fill. Okay. Um. But anyway. So, yeah, the Glickenhaus really struggled. Um, the Peugeots look fantastic, though. They do I just, look great. I love how French they are. They're just wild looking. And even, like, the side pods are just, like... You know how the Mercedes F1 car has the weird uh, side pod where it's sort of sloped and triangular? Yes, yeah. They kind of have that going on, but it's just... Ah, and in person, they just look really cool as well. Um, but it's a shame that they struggled. It would be really cool if they... That's the... Yeah, it is the 908. Yep. Yeah. That was, what year was that? That had to have been... 2011. Okay, I was going to say late 2000s. Yeah, HDI. Okay, so about just over 10 years ago. Um, But it's really great to see them back, and I hope that they refine that car and make it competitive, because I want a car like that to be competitive. Yes, Because yes. it looks different. Yes. And I think it's really interesting that it doesn't need a rear wing. Yeah, Do, you, do what's the logistics behind it? Do you... Have you dove into it? Like, have they done videos or anything? To be honest, I don't, I don't know, other than that it's French. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we don't know that it works either. <laughs> they just sit on the back porch smoking a cigarette yeah, and just like say, yeah, said, it'll do, yeah. yeah. That'll work. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I will say, uh, my impression from being there uh, I've been talking up the GTP class and the manufacturers that it's brought in. And, you know, we did get to see the Cadillac and the Porsche racing against the Ferrari and the Toyota and stuff, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to say, in person, I think it's more evident that uh, I think the analogy I used that the WEC cars are butter to the GTP's margarine. They're still that, you know, they're that top level where it's like totally. Uh, you know, custom built mm-hmm. by the manufacturer. Yeah. And you can tell that those things are a cut above the, what are essentially L- modified LMP2 I didn't, cars. I didn't look at the lap times. Did you see how they compared? Uh, they're pretty comparable. I think they got it uh, pretty good with uh, the LMDH cars. Obviously, the Peugeot and the Glickenhaus struggled. Um, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um, it was also interesting. Apparently, the WEC cars for the GTPs, the LMBHs, run a little bit more drag than the GTP cars, which I thought was interesting. So I'm not sure where that's coming from, but uh, I heard a couple commentators, and uh, when they were interviewing the teams, they noted that as well. But they are still able to, like, if they needed to run one of those other Cadillacs in the FIA series, they said 
essentially like it's an overnight job, but it could be done. Okay. Um, essentially, it's like some software, I guess, and wiring changes. So why not do it? What do you mean? So why 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 do we not combine these two series and just make them make them work together? Like I I know I'm beating a dead horse that's been dead for a while, but I'm gonna I'm gonna beat it pretty hard. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, drives me nuts, man. It's, yeah. it's so frustrating as a fan, as a fan of racing. It's, it's a, it's frustrating thing. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever get there either, but no, 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 because governing bodies aren't willing to give up their power. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think it was really cool to see those cars. And I was actually more excited about the hyper cars than I was the GTPs, seeing them both in person on the same day. Mm-hmm. But I would agree that the racing in the FIA series just isn't as good. But you know what they do really well, and something that I love is the virtual safety car. Yeah, I I don't. Do, do you do you want to touch on the yeah. IMSA stuff before we dive into this? Virtual well, safety I'm, I'm going to use this okay. to transfer. Okay. Uh, trans no, transition over to the IMSA talk. Okay. Uh, because the FIA race, um, not too much happened. Um, obviously I was there, so I couldn't watch the race too much, and in the highlights, um. There was some, you know, the usual crashes and offs and stuff, but um, nothing too crazy. Toyota basically just dominated. So, but it was cool to see the Ferraris back, and hopefully they find uh, some more pace and uh, figure out their strategy. But uh, talking about the virtual safety car in IMSA, one of the things that I noticed, and I want to talk about it straight away and just get it out of the way, is the damn caution periods are so long that while i was there i felt like i was just sitting there for like a half hour at a time and during the fia race when there was a a yellow the cars just go under virtual safety car they slow down to essentially like a pit speed limiter and then once the virtual safety car is over they just start racing again i don't have to wait or anything i don't have to wait for a formation lap i don't have to wait for the safety car they just start racing again sorry to interrupt uh poll time for the IMSA cars, 145.836. Would you like to guess the poll time for the WEC? I think it was uh, I think it was also 145. 145.067, yeah. so eight tenths. Yeah. So within the ballpark. Yes. Sorry, go on. Um, so, yeah, I just – I think they that virtual safety car thing, I thought it was weird at first when they first implemented it, but I think it's the way to go, man. Yeah, so – I can't stand it in Formula One because I'm desperately looking for any more action in Formula One. So I like the idea of bunching the field up and getting a proper safety car out, mm-hmm. especially because Formula One safety cars are so fast, man. Like, when was last yeah. time a safety car lasted more than like five laps in Formula One? Yeah. It, and they're it, also a one make series, so it doesn't yeah. you don't have like multi class mixed in, right? So it's for Formula One. I'm not keen on virtual safety car, which is where we first saw it, mm-hmm. or at least the first time I remember seeing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for endurance racing. I, I kind of like it. Um, I, I agree. I have a tendency to agree with you. I, I think it's it works pretty well. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, they attempted to do some sort of virtual safety car where they segmented the field and you had to stay behind this section. It, for Le Mans, I think in particular, you oh, had to, like, like multiple sectors of VSC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hated that. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really, really foreign. Uh, granted, I get that they're trying to do it for a larger track in that, but that was... I think they still do that. 
it didn't work, at least it, at least not from a fan perspective. Perhaps as a driver perspective and a safety perspective, it works very well. But for a fan perspective, I, I don't I, think it works very well. I think well. there was a transition period where they did multiple safety cars is what you're thinking of. They did that. They also did it. They, they then they did do the multiple safety cars. I think they also then at some point did multiple virtual safety cars like in, in various cer- areas. In yes. certain zones. Yeah, so you had to stay within this location. It was weird. It just... Hmm. That portion of it didn't work. As far as for normal endurance racing, I mean, if you're telling me that the safety cars that we saw during the IMSA race and the periods that they, like the length of time it took to for them to get everything cleaned up and ready to go and then restart the race, if that's what we're going to roll with, I did not sign up for the nine hours of Sebring. Yeah, like, dude, that is it was insane. Yeah. It was just insane. The amount of time they took. I totally agree with you. And, and it, it's one thing if they have to replace tires or fix the wall or something. Yeah, of course. But like there were some big shunts that definitely yeah. took a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Fine. Yeah. And clean up. That's understandable. But like, I think the thing that's causing the problem is the go arounds. And I had to look it up because I'd never pay attention to that kind of stuff generally. But it irritated me so much this year that I was like, why, why do they even do this? And so I looked it up, and it makes sense. So essentially, it's that when you have multi-class racing, just because the safety car picks up the overall leader, it could give somebody basically an entire lap track position advantage in a different class. Mm-hmm. So if the leader is behind the overall leader, but then they pick up the leader, then the guy who's behind that guy can go all the way around, you know, it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. So I was like, okay, fine, but can it not take a half hour, <laughs> like, to go back to green? Yeah. Like, yeah. that's all. I, I, yeah, I agree. And it just, it was, it, there, there's a, it, there is a mess that needs to be cleaned up. But the biggest thing, and not to change the subject on it, but the biggest thing for me is that if we're sitting back and saying, this is what we're focused on as a negative for IMSA, they did this well. Yeah, no, they did it really well because, like, that's the that is legitimately the biggest complaint that I have for the yeah. entire event. Yeah, and I just wanted to get out of the way because it was frustrating, especially in person. Because I was just oh, sta- standing there. I'm like, are we and, green? Yet? And, and caution, caution on TV is fine. I get up, take a piss, go get a beer, whatever. Like, no problem, right? Yeah. When you're there, cautions are the worst thing on the face of the <laughs> earth. You're just like, God, this is agony, man. Yeah. Like it's so frustrating. And then they go green and somebody's hood falls off and then they go yellow again and she's like, God, why? Yes. But uh but I was gonna say immediately after that, got that out of the way. Other than that, it was fantastic. I, I gotta say, man, I, I think this is the best twelve hours of Sebring I've ever watched. Yeah. From start to finish. I have I have watched the twelve hours from start to finish multiple times. This is not the first time I've done it. This this event in particular legitimately any team could have won the, the race any hypercar yeah could have won the well, race gtp G- yes gtp, GTP. Sorry. GTP. prototype any prototype <laughs> we went over this last week just call them all damn prototypes they're prototypes <laughs> <laughs> any prototype could have won the race at any given moment and I mean, they were they, immediately battling immediately dude the first i texted the, the the group chat that we've had for years with you, me, and two other guys that watch a whole bunch of racing with us. I have never sat back and for the first 20 to 25 minutes of the race gone, what is going on? Like, <laughs> it, you would have thought it was a sprint race. Yeah. 
You would have. It was just everybody was jockeying for position, and they have really, really high quality drivers mm-hmm. in those prototype cars. It is insane. Pippo Durrani and and Ricky Taylor put on a show for twenty five minutes of that at that start. Yeah, I mean, just battling back and forth and back and forth, and it's just it's an incredible racing to watch. Yeah, and it's normally I'm not too keen. I, I said it last week. I'm not too keen on the prototypes. Typically, I like the GTLM class. I don't have any idea what happened in the lower classes because I was so invested in what was going on in the prototypes. It was yeah. finally such good racing, such good battling. They were hard. They were banging into each other, but they weren't disrespectful. They gave each other space. They made ridiculous moves. Traffic became a problem, and then traffic wasn't a problem. And it, like it just, it finally again for the first time since probably Porsche and Toyota and um, Audi were all involved in in uh, the WEC. God, almost 10 years ago now. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, I guess so, yeah. So it, it's the first time in a long time that it felt like the, the 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 race itself was that wide open to that many prototypes. Yeah. And and the Acuras, oh, my God, are they fast, man. They are fast, especially when they're oh. running. Well, I don't want to make I was going to make a joke about tire pressure. Yeah. It was funny. I saw a guy in the grid walk, actually. He had a shirt with a pink uh, tire pressure sign yeah. on it. And he posed in front of their pit box. It was pretty funny. That's amazing. <laughs> so so really quickly, the, the funny thing, me being a Porsche fan, watching the WEC, like I said, I watched the recap. I didn't watch the whole race. But just kind of picking up the details from that race, I went, Porsche's got a shot here. Like, I feel like this, like they can figure this championship out. Yeah, yeah. Dude, watching IMSA? No there's, idea. No. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I, I'm sitting back going, I don't. I, I think Porsche's got a good car with a solid lineup. It that just is, depends what happens that day. But it's also that's not Cadillac, dude. Cadillac blew the doors off of, and Acura blew the doors off a of Cadillac, and mm-hmm. yet somehow they all finished. Yeah, it, like it, yeah, and you're watching the recap, and it's confusing in person too, because like when I'm there, they have leader lights. Uh, the WEC only has leader lights for the top three positions, mm-hmm. but for IMSA, they have essentially the top ten because they have numbers, so it's like one through ten. Uh, on the side of the car and watching it i have no idea what's going on because it feels like every 15 minutes the numbers are different and i'm like uh, i don't know cadillac was leading before but now i think the porsche is and then i'm like uh, the bmw's in the lead now i have i just yeah. tune out i'm just like i don't know i'll figure out what happened later mm-hmm. and uh, it's amazing to me that over the course of the race it seemed like everybody was pretty much on the lead lap or a good number of cars were on the lead lap actually racing for everyone that mattered was yeah in the in the prototype like everybody you would want i mean help bmw came in second yeah <laughs> and, and on B- the lead lap right and they did they came in second in the race no they, i want to say on the lead yeah, lap yes, right yeah, yeah yeah on the lead yeah. sorry i was confused for a moment yeah. yes on the lead lap second in the race and they were not involved for 11 hours and 59 minutes of that race or whatever it was that the, the incident at the end occurred yeah just not involved. Like they were by far the slowest team, but they were there at the end. They, what is the the old saying? Like if you want to finish first, first you have to finish. Exactly. They they didn't finish first, but first they finished. Exactly. Like, yeah. They, they were in position. Yeah. And uh, watching the highlights, one thing I noticed again from the WEC to the IMSA cars is that the IMSA drivers were pushing way harder than what I saw in the FIA race. Like, it was a straight-up brawl for 12 yes. hours. 
Um, whereas the FIA drivers are a little bit more conservative. The cars look more skittish, but I'm going to attribute that to setup more than anything. Um, but yeah, even in person, I saw dust coming off the exits of every corner oh, the entire constantly. race. You, you could literally sit at turn one, and within 10 minutes, you'll see somebody run wide on turn one, which, by the way, is terrifying. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even in the FIA race, there was a, a really bad accident going into With turn With the Ferrari? One. Yeah. Turned over. I saw yeah. that happen in real time. Oh, really? Okay. Through the viewfinder. And luckily, I could sort of tell in the moment the way he hit it, it wasn't like straight in. So it I was, thought he'd be okay. It but was super tame on TV. Yeah. Like it, it just essentially, he kind of slid he, high speed. Yes. But just kind of oversteered and then just lost all traction and went straight into the wall. Yeah. But luckily it wasn't like a straight in. It was sort of like the rear glanced the, it and then it turned him over. The rear wing did. Yeah. yeah. But in person, dude, he, those tires were up in the air. You saw the car go upside oh, yeah. down. You're like, oof. Yeah. That, uh, that's a big one. Yeah. So, question then for because you watched obviously you watched both races live. Yeah. And then you went and watched the recaps. You yeah. didn't watch the recap of the thousand uh, miles prior to watching the M series. No. Okay. So, was there a spectator difference in person between oh, yes, the two series? Absolutely, hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. It was packed on the main day. No, 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 no. I'm saying for you, visually watching it, enjoying the racing, the the racing itself. I don't mean the, the ambiance. I don't mean the aura or anything like that, right? Like, we know what the 12 hours are. They, it's yeah. a, it's insane. <clears throat> Is the the race itself, the drivers, the cars, etc., was there a significant difference? Yeah, I think so. I think in the number of cars competing, but also they do feel very different. The FIA race feels more... I'm going to do my best to explain this, but you're going to have to interpret it. Okay. Because I'm on, like, the ragged edge of, like, what I can actually explain. Okay. But, like, the FIA race, to me, feels more, like, legitimate, more like a top-level series. Like, their pit garages are, like, full-on, almost like Formula One style. They got the lights and everything. I'm already feeling like you're going to compare it to Formula One and IndyCar in a way. Yeah, it does have those kind of vibes. Like, okay. And I just came from the IndyCar race, too, which and it kind of reminds me of that. But WEC feels kind of like Formula One, where it's like all very neat, and it's top level, and it's complicated. Did they keep you further away from the cars or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, so... Like, IMSA was like, yeah, go ahead and come in our garage, yeah, have a beer. Yeah, if you and then... saw their pit boxes, like, the WEC has, like, Formula One-style pit boxes, garages, I should yeah. say. Um, like I said, and they're they're walled off and i mean the imsa ones are walled off too but like you can tell the difference is like in the fia one it's like yeah you're not allowed past this whereas like the imsa one i'm sure people have had the experience before where it's like you're looking at some of the people like hey you want to come check it out you can come walk in you're not going to see that on the fia side. okay and another example is like the grid walk so the fia have a grid walk but it's for vips and you have to get like a ticket for it the imsa grid walk is just like hey the grid walk is here if you want to go Anybody can go. <laughs> just saying that is just making me like IMSA more and more and yeah. more over yeah. WEC. It's just it yeah. Just there was a guy so who much... asked me when I was there. He's like, "Do you know where the gridwalk is?" I'm like, "Well, it's over there, but I'm pretty sure you need a ticket for it." You know, the European elitist mentality, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's the main difference. Um, but it's just more casual. But it also just feels more less corporatey, I guess. IMSA or WC? IMSA. Yeah. Whereas the FIA feels a little bit more corporate Yeah. But it feels like a big deal. Like a collared shirt would be fine in IMSA, but a suit 
is required at WEC. Kind of, yeah. That kind of analogy, yeah. Yeah. So that's the main difference. And to be honest, part of that appeals to me, and it's sort of the same reason I like Formula One, because it's just the best. It's the most excessive. It's the most expensive. You know, it's just like more of everything. Yeah. I I get that appeal, yes. Yeah, but IMSA is just way more accessible. Well, and and 10 times out of 10, I will watch what we just watched on Saturday over granted like i said i did not watch the full thousand miles if anybody wants to challenge me i will go back and watch the full thousand miles and i will still come to the same conclusion sign me up 10 times out of 10 for imsa yeah oh, i totally agree and the the vibe of the event too you can tell there was more energy around the imsa race yeah where it's like people are interested in the fi race but it's just not the same um but yeah it was just constant action uh like i said being there uh constant action also meant caution periods unfortunately but um yeah it's just great to watch man i just i love that race i've been going forever and uh it was great (laughs) i will say i was um i actually to be honest i did leave a little bit early uh i didn't stay all the way to the end because i was i was done i called it oh i can imagine you were there (laughs) on what thursday yeah i was there on thursday and um i got my i bagged the night shots that i wanted and i was like i'm gonna just go because i've there's and to be honest, selfishly, like I enjoy driving home, listening to the race. Yeah. And then I get home and like watch the end. Uh, I stayed a little bit longer this time and just listened to like a half hour of the race when it was ending. Um, but uh, it was funny. I'm driving along and I'm listening. And it's like, and it's the Radio Lamar guys, which is the best. Yes. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, we've got this battle. I'm like, wow, battle between Porsche and Acura sounds really great. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's just like, oh, and there's been contact. Oh, and the Acura's out. And the Porsche's out. And the other Porsche. Yeah. And I'm just like, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> just sitting in the car, just like, what? Like It was it was such a, an odd circumstance. Uh, I just, it, it was essentially a racing incident that devolved into to absolute chaos that somehow collected both Porsche Penske's. And there was fantastic racing up until that point. There was, yeah. And they, like both both cases could be made oh he didn't give enough room or oh he took too much space or guys it's like if we're if both sides are debating that then you're probably looking at a racing incident and it's really unfortunate that the the second porsche the third car got collected in it you're just like come on man what (laughs) it's amazing but like uh i did go back you know well it wasn't amazing i didn't enjoy it well yeah i'm sure you had a bad time yeah i'm sure you were elated you're just like yes and then no yeah yeah (laughs) but um Watching it back to actually, you know, match what I heard to what actually happened, I think what happened is he saw the Acura on the right side, and he was in the middle of the track. Mm -hmm. Then he caught the GT, and I think he still thought the Acura was on the right side because it looked like he was just going to go around the GT. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he was like, oh, there's an Acura there, and then they already bumped, and it was too late. I think it was 100% a a visibility issue. Yeah. Like, there was just, there was no way, he did not know where he was. Mm -hmm. Like, even if he thought he was on the right, he, there's no way he was sure he was still on the right. And it's just, it's one of those situations where it's, it's just crappy. I mean, there's nothing you can do that's welcome to traffic, welcome to endurance racing. Yeah. If that, that, if that isn't, to a T endurance racing, I don't know what else you could do to explain yeah. it to somebody. Yeah, because you could run so many different scenarios of what ifs, like, oh, you, well, you know, if he didn't run over to the inside there, and if he had just stayed behind them, they would have been okay. Well, if he didn't try to get around the GTs, they just waited till the straightaway leading up to the hairpin. When, how many minutes were left? I mean, we were in within an hour. 
Yeah, it was within an hour. I think it was within a half an hour. Yeah. So if you're going to wait behind a GT car, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, because it almost ended the race under caution. Yeah. It was that close. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, really exciting. It's a shame for Porsche and Acura, but uh, Cadillac got the win now. Cadillac did get the win, yeah. 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 They were there in the end, so. And they were there up until that point, too. They, and they and they did great until they got collected in turn one early on in the race. You know they were fine and in and yeah. Then what all happened there? I'm trying to remember what. Uh, uh, it's, <clears throat> I don't remember exactly what happened offhand. Or if no, they was, had the fire. No, that wasn't the same Cadillac, was it? It was the Wayland. It was the, the, the Wayland 31 Cadillac that won. Yeah, but it was the Pippo yellow Durantes. Cadillac had a fire. Yes, they well. had a fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a different story. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. No, because Pippo Durani ended up winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, fourth time, by the way, that he's won this race. Wow. And he's like less than 30 years old. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, no, they got collected by somebody that had, I don't remember exactly what happened offhand. I've seen so much racing in the last like week that I've just, (laughs) it's all blurring together. But he, they, they essentially got collected a little bit and going, I think it was turn one and, and they were able to get everything rebuilt, get back on the lead lap, and just continue and just hang in there. You know, like we were saying with endurance racing, just just be around, right? That was the moral of this story for this this race, because both BMW and that that thirty one car for Cadillac, they were just kind of there. Like the, the granted, the thirty one car was much faster than the BMW, and looked pretty good for most of the race, but was they they struggled as soon as they got hit, and it's like. Just, just be around. Just be alive. Yeah. Don't, don't make these mistakes. That's all you can do in yeah. endurance racing. You put yourself in. You give yourself the opportunity to win. Hundred percent. You know. Yep. Yep. And, exactly. Uh, but it's just amazing. And, and watching the recap, um, and like I said, associating that to what I saw live, it just looked like a sprint race for twenty or for twelve hours. Dude, that's what it felt like. Yeah, that, there that was that a, really like is... maybe a little lull, like at uh, midway through the race, where yeah. everybody's just in a rhythm, but. You could you could tell when, God, this makes it sound so bad because it, it's not what I'm. What it sounds like is what not necessarily what I intended to be. But you could tell when the drivers that aren't winning the race are in the are in the car. Mm-hmm. Like there was that period of time where you're like, yeah, it's, it's not that important right now. And then as soon as you got your lead drivers back in, you got people that knew what they were doing. Not that the guys again, it sounds bad. You get my point. When you got the best drivers in the best cars, all of a sudden chaos hit, and it was just insane. I mean, I, I just signed me up for 24 hours of Ricky Taylor versus <laughs> uh, versus whoever. I mean, that yeah. dude was so aggressive. You just name it, it. Name the driver, stick him against it. I was so ready for it. Yeah. So ready for it. Yeah, no, it was, it was a great race. And uh, I, I want to ask you, though, because, like you said, you're typically more into the GTs, and I think we all typically are more into the GTs, our sort of friend group. Generally, better racing. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. But. Do you think the lack of factory-backed teams makes you less interested in the GT racing? Right now? Yeah. Yes. I Because I think so, too. Yes. Yeah, no. Do I you mean, think we, there needs to be, like, a GTLM class, or do you think they can still have, like, factory-backed GT3s and still get that same, I don't know what you call it, level of, like, interest? I mean... <laughs> Because personally, I'm all about the factory entries. I like privateers. Um, I think they should be there. They have every right to be there. But like, I get excited about Porsche battling Cadillac. I'm um, right there with you. You know, right there with you. It's that, and that's that's really what matters to me. Is like we, we, 
again, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but we talked about this last week, is the the idea that you are rooting for a team. You're committed to that team. I am inc- like just die-hard loyal to my teams. I have not had a championship from any of my teams since 2008. And it does not change. Well, it's a good thing you're a racing fan because Porsche does pretty well. Yes, yeah, exactly. But it does not change. I still watch every single game. Right, right now, the Red Wings are playing. Mm-hmm. I am going to go back, start it over, and rewatch the whole the whole game. Yeah, I have not missed a game in probably 15 years. Dang. I don't miss games. Hmm. That allegiance is what I bring to all sports. I will be a Porsche fan. I don't care about Flying Lizard. I don't care about Red Bull. I don't care about you. You name it, golf. Like all, yeah. the, because here's the thing: is every sponsorship I just listed moves. They 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 go to other teams. They go to other manufacturers, right? So the team may stay the same theoretically, but the manufacturer changes. I have allegiance to the manufacturer because at the end of the day, that translates to every single form of racing. I can turn on DTM and I can watch. Mercedes compete in DTM. I can watch Mercedes compete in Formula One. I can watch Mercedes compete in IMSA. I can watch, like, you have, that's what holds it together. You can't tune in and watch Flying Lizard in every single event. Or Red Bull, I guess you kind of, Red Bull's sort of the exception, right? Because they they really are pretty much a manufacturer without actually making road cars. Yeah, but it's hard to get behind somebody like that. Yes, but it's like, what is there to get behind? Like, you can own a Porsche. Exactly. That know? was my next. That's where I was going next. Is like, not to mention, I have a Porsche in my garage. I'm going to be. I'm going to have an affinity for Porsche, just the same way you are likely to have an affinity for Honda with your S2000. You know, it's like yeah. that type of stuff is. You're gonna develop that allegiance to those brands. Not. I don't have a giant ass Golf livery on my car. Like that's. <laughs> it's not changed. Like. That's not what I'm rooting for. What I'm yeah. rooting for is my brand. So when you take that away from GT cars and you put it into prototypes, then, yeah, you're probably going to pull somebody that's a GT fan into prototypes. Not to mention, I, part, another part of it, I, these GT cars are boring as all get out, man. There's not any new creative, unique designs or anything like that. Well, they're that. just GT, GT3 cars. And that's why I wanted to ask because I, yeah. I think it's an interesting thing because last week I kind of stated that I think GT3 regs are good for motorsport because it's like everybody makes a GT3 car. You know, you could race a Bentley, a Lamborghini, Porsche, Ferrari, Corvette. You know, Ford's making a Mustang GT3 car. Yeah. And so that's good. You know, you have the different cars, but... But they're not different anymore. But they're not factory-backed. They're also not different anymore. What do you mean? Like, I agree with you that they're not factory-backed, and that sucks. <clears throat> but the biggest difference with GT cars, and this has happened very recently, Porsche's moved the engine forward. Now the 911's a mid-engine car. Corvette well, is Well, the now- GT3 car is still rear-engine. Yeah. But, but the RSR, yeah. 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 But Corvette is now mid-engine. Yeah. Ford developed the GT to become mid-engine. Mm-hmm. Everybody is just developing, like, the GT3 car, the GTLM, the GT car has become one design, right? Mm-hmm. We're not sitting here watching a front-engine GTR go against a rear-engine 911 going against... A, or like all-wheel drive versus rear-wheel drive. Yeah, there's no yeah. differentiation between these cars. Realistically, you could pull the body off, slap a new, uh, slap that body on the other car, and call it a day. You're going to have some differences in the engines and the transmissions and whatnot, but for the most part, there isn't a significant difference in these cars the way there was back in the 90s or early 2000s, and that's what made GT racing so exciting. 
granted that's also what made prototype racing back then so exciting as well but it's it's almost like everybody's figured out the magic ingredient the secret sauce right and they just rather than sprinkling it on and then having their own creativity to make a unique plate they just dumped the whole bottle on and said look guys we can compete too yeah and it's it's it makes it makes the racing less exciting or it it makes it makes the lure of the racing less exciting. The racing itself remains yeah, the very good. Better, but yes. it doesn't have the same shine. Yes. And I I think it's an interesting question because it is sort of a paradox. It's like, well, do you want good racing or do you want interesting cars with that are factory backed, you know? And it's like, well, I kind of want both. I want both. Yeah. I, and and that's totally justifiable and that's because what we GTLM had both. was. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And you know, we have the same thing now because we have the GTP class, then you have LMP2, which I think makes sense because it's like you can have privateers in LMP2 running yeah. their own race. Then you have the big teams running GTP. And by the way, you can still have privateers run the uh, big cars. You know, BMW's factory-backed right now. The Porsches are factory-backed. But there's going to be customer Porsche cars, mm-hmm. and there's already Just the same way there customer. always has been. I yeah. mean, that's like... But like... The old 962... Was it, yeah, they those had, were all privateer yeah, cars. Basically. Exactly, they sold them to freaking everybody. Yeah, uh, and I think we're going to see the same thing now. But I think what we're getting at is like, there has to be something behind it, almost like a purpose. You know, it's like, and I think part of it is like, any manufacturer can almost choose any car to race in the GT3 spec category. And maybe this goes against sort of what you were saying earlier. But like, if Bentley can race a Continental against a 911. Like, that's kind of amazing, but also there's something wrong with that at the same time. But they're not, yeah. But I would rather that, I would rather watch the Bentley, because there is going to be a difference. I mean, you're not talking like old Trans Am where you've got, or not even, well, yeah, it's it, wasn't, not a it wasn't Trans Am where, what am I thinking of? Was it British touring cars that had Mustangs and like Lotus Elans on the same track yeah, at yeah. the same time? Okay, yeah. so it's not that. No. But still, there's going to be very unique advantages and disadvantages to the continental over the 911 Mm -hmm. there is not going to be very significant differences or advantages between the ferrari and the new vet there'll be some here and there but for the most part they're the same vehicle yeah i so that's what that's where i'm kind of getting irritated like that's where i lose my interest right Mm. Like, think about the old Z4s when those were in there. They, oh, those were, cars were beautiful. They were beautiful, and they, they were... sounded amazing. Ridiculous. They yeah. were ridiculous cars. Also, like, why just, were they there? Yeah. But also, it was also... They were good. Yeah. They worked. <laughs> but the idea of, like, a V8 Z4 is like, yes, sign me up. Yeah. They should have built road cars. Well, how many years did BMW do that, though? I mean, yeah. with the E92s, they, they did that. Those were great cars, right? Like, yeah. over and over and over again, BMW was notorious for doing... Notorious makes it sound like a negative, but famous i guess for doing ridiculous things like the batmobiles you mean and like yeah yeah of course yeah i i don't know it's really interesting because some of my favorite cars in gt racing go against what i typically say i guess what i'm getting at is here is i'm like one giant paradox when it comes to my reasoning but i love the big wide body pseudo silhouette racers that were the 935s Mm-hmm. In that era of IMSA. Yeah. I love those cars. Right. But there's part of me that also, well, you know, those really aren't, they're not like road cars. They're so modified that they barely resemble the road cars, yeah. you know? Um, and I guess GT3 cars aren't that dissimilar, but 
I don't know. There's something about those cars. They just look cool. And maybe the GT cars now just aren't cool enough. Um, I'll say that for sure the Ferrari was underwhelming. Like, if you didn't know that Ferrari got a new car, you would not tell the difference between that 296 to the 488. I swear, they look the same. I have been out of the automotive industry for a little while as far as, like, uh, paying attention to news and whatnot. If you asked me what the most recent uh, Ferrari mid-engine car was, I would have told you 488. Yeah. I wouldn't know any better. Well, they're still racing in the FIA class, so they're still around. Right, but that car's what? six eight years old now depending on how you look at it yeah yeah, yeah. so it's like you know it, and it like didn't evolve <laughs> no 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 it, like it, at least the c7s uh you know they had like a different wing each year or something the friar was just like there you go race with that yeah until we come out but, with a new uh, car. but the c7 is a great example like i actually liked having the c7 in because it was that kind of american thunder the big yeah. brute force and you get it a little bit with the c8 but it's, it's just, weird, man. It yeah, like right. I I get it. I get the mid engine. I understand it, and they did a great job executing it. Especially the road car. That pack the package overall is fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, just come on, like, it's the same car. It's they're all the same car now. Yeah, I I do think that we have lost a lot in terms of sound as well, because other than the Porsche and the Vet everything sounds the same yeah if you can even hear it at all because they're all turbocharged right. you just kind of get like a hum as they pass yeah um which is really what well, i think that has more to do with external sources or external external reasoning than it does um the manufacturers themselves what do you mean there there are incentives to do specific things with the displacement and type of engine that you run oh but yeah but the weird part is like when you've seen a 962 run, it still sounds cool, you know? Y- yes. Y- yeah. And then you see, like, this 296 Ferrari, and you're just like, how is it making no noise? Like, the BMW, you literally can't hear the BMWs. Right. It's well, amazing. Yeah. So, I don't know. That bugs me. That's like a I personal agree. thing. I agree. I agree. I'm not going to say that I'm it has to, any merit, I'm but I'm specifically it trying me. to dance around the reasoning behind the no, I know what manufacturers yeah. getting involved with yeah, it's what mission, they're doing. Yeah, missions and stuff. I yeah. understand. And it makes sense. And it's weird. But like I said, it's weird because we used to have turbocharged cars that we now view as like iconic and really interesting. But I don't think we'll feel that way about but these. But those turbocharged cars also had what, like 800 and some odd horsepower? Well, yeah, that's like, also yeah. true. Yeah. And I think. Uh, you know, bringing this back around to the to the IMSA regs, I think um, I'm hoping for the future of IMSA and sports car racing in general that the cars generally get a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. And I think for sure the prototypes. I think the prototypes absolutely need to have a thousand horsepower, um, at least. Yeah, and then I can the, get behind that. And then the GT cars, I don't think they need a huge step up in power, but I think it's a little bit weird. You know, like if if your kid asks you, like, wow. How much horsepower does that have? And you say, well, it's like it's, it's about 500-ish. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd have to check. I think they're around 550 or so, maybe a little bit more. Um, you know, it's like, oh, well, you can buy a, a G-Wagon <laughs> yeah. with more horsepower. Yeah. Than that. It's like, that's not right. You know? No, it's it's not. And and what's even more not right about that or right about the point that you're making is stuff like the LMP2 cars. Mm-hmm. 
ask your kid how much horsepower a, a kid that is going to be at least mildly aware like they're not going to say a million horsepower you know like you get a mildly cognizant yeah. aware kid right yeah how much horsepower do you think that has 1200 1000 yeah. right lmb2 cars right thousand, yeah. yeah like maybe 900 what do they really have nothing like it doesn't matter like they, yeah. they so when you start to develop these cars that look incredible they look fast what do they have uh, 700 horsepower yeah you know yeah, it, like, it does it doesn't work does it yeah like literally the uh the gtp cars right now mm-hmm. have 670 horsepower that's insane yeah i mean they're really fast but it's like i just want more I loved seeing no, the... Uh, no kid has ever asked how much arrow or how much downforce does that car put down. No, I don't care. You know, like, yeah. They just it, want to see a haul out of the corner. Yeah. And that's... And it's interesting because the FIA, I think during the golden era of the LMP1 cars, was when you had the Porsche, the Audi, and the Toyota making 1,000 horsepower. Mm-hmm. And you just see them fly out of the corner, yeah. fly past a GT car. I still go back and watch the video. The of- 919 onboard? No, not even that. That's ridiculous yeah. as well. But no, like the video of the Toyota, because it's the best video of it, going from electric to the hybrid, like the full-on gas motor kicks on in the pit lane. Oh, yeah. Like the just spaceship sound. We don't have anything like that going on right now. Well, the MSO cars do that, but it's not It's not the same, I guess. But, yeah, it is, but it's not this like earth-shattering, like, dude, I think the world just might have ended yeah. starting here. Yeah. From the, like, there isn't that same type of allure. Yeah, and I can't tell if I've just done enough hearing damage where it doesn't seem as loud anymore. <laughs> but, like, every time I go to the races now, I'm like, I literally have this thought every time, I'm like, man, I thought these things were louder. No, I, it's, it, I mean, one of the, one of the organizations that does every, that, that does that showboating right, but that's because that's what they live by, is Formula Drift, right? Like, cars are ridiculously yeah. loud, tire smoke's all over the place. A couple of years ago, they went, we don't have enough tire smoke, make these tires smoke more. So they got, they started working with manufacturers to make tire, more tire smoke. Oh my God. Because it's all about a show, right? Yeah. Don't go to that extreme, IMSA, but a little bit of flavor of that, like just as, you know, a sprinkle. Or not, not just IMSA, WC, endurance racing in general, yeah. all racing in general, right? That sprinkle of, let's get a little nutty, mm-hmm. is not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be, it doesn't necessarily have to be for the show. But I hate the idea of anything that would hamper the experience for someone going there in the name of, I mean, I don't even know what. I am all for show so long as it doesn't affect the performance. Yeah. I I think like I th- that is what makes that type of the spectacle is what makes that type of stuff fun. Do you think um uh this will be the last question by the way and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Cuz we're getting close on time, but do you think that the in-person experience is more valuable to a series and the impression that it makes or do you think the racing on TV is more important? I guess it depends on how you define more important as far as like what you're looking for, because ultimately the TV and the TV rights are what's making the money. Mm-hmm. So clearly let's, a, let's a better say... television product is going to be more important. Mm-hmm. But to build a future, to build the fan base of the future, you're going to need to provide like if you never went and watched any drag racing with your dad as a kid, you 
very likely would not be a racing fan. Yeah, it's the exposure. It's, it's the formative years, right? Like it's that it's that type of exposure. It's yeah. the same thing for me in hockey. We've talked about this before. It's <clears throat> that aspect of it. That's what ke- that's what creates new fans. But I think you have. It's more important to be able to create new fans on TV as well as maintain them than it is to attempt to maintain fans because as big of an automotive racing fan as you and I are, what's the furthest you've ever traveled specifically for a race? For one race, not you went there because you lived there. Or work. Or work. Like you, all right, I'm going to go, even if it was for work, Mm -hmm. like you went out to Laguna Seca Mm -hmm. for a race, right? Yeah. The furthest I think I've ever gone to actually specifically go to a race would be from here to Daytona. Yeah. I was going to say, if it wasn't work, it'd be Daytona. I've and, thought about and going that's, to... And that's a three and a half to four hour drive for yeah, us. Yeah, I've thought about going to Atlanta for Petit Le Mans. Exactly. So the furthest like I would go is like, yeah, like 10 hours. Yeah. So when you're talking about what's more important, and we would be considered pretty big racing fans. Yeah. So what's more important, a good television product or a good in-person experience? Ultimately, a good television product for the companies is more important. What do I prefer? I mean, when I'm there, I want to see a good. I want to see a good race, and then, or I want to. I want to have a good experience, and then when I'm watching on TV, I want. I want a good race. It's, it's a catch twenty two. Yeah, I and I asked that question because, you know, being there, experiencing both races, the FIA race and the IMSA race, and seeing the differences, I love that the IMSA race, like you, it's the kind of race that like families show up to, mm-hmm. and they bring their kids, and the kid goes on the grid walk. Yeah, and like I can't imagine as a kid getting to see those cars up close or like meeting drivers, getting autographs yeah, uh, and having that kind of experience. Um, and I also think that just the sound of the cars has a huge impact on that kind of thing. And I would say, I think you're technically right that the TV is more important as far as the bottom line goes. But I think for the long-term health of this kind of uh, series uh, sport, I think you need to have that experience in person that then grounds you for when you're watching mm-hmm. it on TV. Because yeah. you say, this stuff is awesome, I'll watch that, you know? Right. And, and I think they go hand in hand, but I think you have to have that core experience. They do, and, and, and on the flip side of what you just said, you're not going to the event for, for circuit racing. You're not going to the event to watch the race. No, you really can't. Or Unless to watch you, to watch the racing. Yeah. You're Unless there you to just, watch the race, but you can't physically watch all the corners, so yeah. you can't follow it. You have no idea. I mean, unless you just sit in front of the Jumbotron for 12 hours, but that's awful. Yeah, you yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and no one does that. I mean, it, like, I could see it a little bit in Formula One where if maybe you're sitting on the on the main straight and then you have a, a large screen yeah. or something like that. Yeah, but it's only two hours. Like, that's fine. It's a little different, yeah. But it's still the same thing. Like, truly, if you're watching, and, and the same thing could be said, it's it's different with some professional sports, especially on smaller fields and stuff like that. But, like, if you truly want to get a feel for the golf tournament, is it is a good comparable? You need to watch it on TV to get, uh, because there's so much going on all at once in so many different locations. That's where it kind of compares to racing is there's so much going on in any given corner at every, any given location that your corner is essentially a group on a given hole. Mm-hmm. These, neither of those two sports compare to something like football or soccer or hockey or basketball. Yeah, we just see where you everything. have a condensed location. Yeah, you can sit in the stands and get pretty much the same 
viewing experience minus the commentators while sitting in the stands. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. But anyway, that is the <laughs> last point I wanted to make. Okay. Um, we're at uh, 1 minute 40 now, or one, sorry, 1 minute 40, 1 hour 40. Um, so it's a long-ass minute. It is a really long minute. <laughs> really long seconds. Yes. Um, so I'm going to cut it off there. Um, I I kind of wanted to mention, a little, talk about photography a little bit, but I think I'm going to save that um, for when we have a photography guest on. Yeah. Um, we could sort of riff back and forth. Um, cause yeah, you're of, not going to do it with me. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was cool, though. I saw... I've definitely seen an uptick in photographers, like, um, both, uh, well, mainly just, like, amateur photographers just attending a race. I've seen a huge, like, I remember the first time I went to a race, um, I saw a couple people, you know, like, taking pictures on their own, and now it's just, like, photographers everywhere, which I think is really cool. I think it's cool that more people, and I think the culture's shifting a little bit, where it's like, hey, if you want to do this... Like, just go grab a camera and go do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not... I think the elitist nature of it eventually is going to go away. It's just going to be like, hey, grab a camera, go do it. You know, have fun doing it if you want to do it more than f- for fun. It's, you know? it's literally turning into playing a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think also it's so accessible now, people with phones, that maybe they get an interest in photography. Mm-hmm. And then, a, you know, a proper camera is the next step, a proper lens and everything. And it is one of those things that, like, you can't take phone pictures at a race event you're no. not close enough yeah no so you need a proper setup but i think it's really cool to see um like i said i'll save that conversation for a later date um but for now uh i just want to say thanks for watching <laughs> I did it again <laughs> we are going to have viewers eventually <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks for listening um uh, if you want to follow along on the website, it's motorsportsandfocus.com. Social media, it's Motorsports and Focus on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And uh, that's it. Hope you enjoyed. See you next time.